sex talk. Derek Miley. Cause sexuality is tough. And okay, sexist isn't good enough. No. Sex talk with Derek Miley. Hey folks, welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. You know, I don't get returning guests all that often and I get really excited when I do. Dr. Ari Tuckman is back with me, you all. Like, be ready. We're going to have some fun. <laughs> Ari has already like agreed to things before we get started that you all will hear in this episode. We're going to introduce a new segment and we're going to be talking about essentially how to have really tough conversations about sex, and we're going to tackle it in lots of different ways. Welcome, Ari. Thank you for coming back. It is awesome to be here. I'm glad. I don't know if it's an honor that I'm returning, one of the few who's returned, (laughs) or if it's bad judgment. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. (laughs) Well, I mean, people will let us know, I guess. Maybe. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) So we really wanted to aim this, this conversation directly at therapists. And so therapists who are listening, you psychologists, you helpers of mental health out there in the world, we wanted to aim this at you as well as the clients to be able to have these conversations within their relationships. These conversations are fucking hard, Ari. Like, how do we start these conversations? How do we start the conversation about sex? Let's start from from the therapist perspective. How do we start these conversations? Well, I think, you know, first thing is let's, let's think about why these conversations are so hard in the first place, uh, uh, you know, so shit. like, yes. I mean, yeah, like romantic partners have conversations about all sorts of stuff. And a lot of it is really kind of boring and, and uninteresting. And then we also have really difficult conversations and, you know, as therapists, we tend I don't know. People don't come to us to have the easy conversation because it's like they got that covered. So whether it's an individual or a couple or a family or a, you know, poly, whatever, like, you know, they come to a therapist to have the conversations that are too hard to have at home or don't go well at home. So I think sex is one of those topics that is it feels harder and whether it should or shouldn't like that, that's a different conversation, but it does. And I think that, you know, it's really one of those things of that sex feels so sort of vulnerable and it's so like it discloses something about you that other conversations don't. So, you know, so I think that there is a vulnerability to it, but I think also just to sort of, Add insult to injury or something. I think there's so much kind of shame that gets built around sex and what are you into? And, you know, like we, we sort of get nailed on both sides. You know, on the one hand, you're such a prude. I can't believe you're not into whatever, you know. But, yeah. Yeah. But also then I, there's this pressure on the other side that if you're not having like, I don't know, crazy, you know, BDSM poly you know, trans something like what, like if you're not having the craziest outlandish sex, then you're not doing it right either. So it's kind of like, there's no sweet spot in the middle. Like there's no safe place for anybody. It seems. Absolutely. I, this is something that I hear from my clients a lot. This is something that I hear from my people in my life a lot. And I, I think it, there is a issue around language generally. Doug Braun Harvey talks about this too, like language, like that shame that you are talking about specifically that we will actually use other words or we will say this or the or we will put distance between ourselves and sexual language period right you're completely right about that shame i think you're completely right yeah and it's interesting because often 
it just seems like people, perhaps more so with sex and with other topics, they, they use it sort of like it's vagueness, you know, where I think they're sort of hedging their bets. You know, it's like plausible deniability. So like if I say something and you freak out, I can say, uh, no, no, that, that that's not what I meant. Uh, this, this, this is what I was actually saying. So, you know, but the problem is you can't have a good conversation with vagueness because either I don't know what exactly you're saying and I don't know how to respond to it, or what often happens is we have a conversation, we both feel like we got somewhere, and then lo and behold, we later find out we each wound up somewhere different in terms of what we agreed on. Yes, absolutely. I I feel... When I have I have been interacting with clients and they'll say something like, well, you like you like that. And they'll say that. They won't say you like oral sex or you like whatever the sex act they are actually referencing. They will distance themselves from it, just like you're talking about. Like, let me create some vagueness around it so I don't necessarily have to commit. Yeah. And the thing is, like, if you feel uncomfortable with the topic, it's going to make it harder to have a real conversation about it. I think that sometimes, you know, we hide our discomfort in the vagueness or something, you know, which is not to say that it's not okay to feel uncomfortable because you will like intimate relationships involve discomfort sometimes, unfortunately, but, but, you know, you don't get the good part of intimacy without also sometimes having to, you know, pay the piper in terms of the discomfort of, I don't really like where this conversation is going, or I don't know how I feel about this thing about you that I'm now seeing that you're now revealing to me. Um, but like, but that is what intimacy is. Intimacy is not simply share the things that we agree on or tell me the things about me or our relationship that I, that I like and feel comfortable with. You know, it's also real intimacy, honest intimacy is show me the parts of yourself that I don't really understand that confuse me, that frighten me, that make me angry. You know, like there's that part of it also. And, you know, that's where the disagreements come from. I think that is a wonderful zoom out on how many, many people, and I I would include therapists in this conversation, absolutely, that when something is uncomfortable, scary, or brings up those feelings of fear and anger simultaneously, that the avoidance, then that natural want to, I need to get away. I mean, and that's physiological, right? Like that response, that fight or flight or freeze response is something that is natural to us. It is up to us to be able to kind of control it and then still sit in the discomfort while we have that conversation. I mean, speaking of that, like in the face of hard conversations today in our current political climate, like people yell their opinions at one another. They they don't necessarily, and they do that online. They don't necessarily do it in person. (laughs) So how do we tackle that physiological response when we're having conversations about sexual health? You know, the first thing is to just sort of acknowledge it. This is a really hard conversation where I really don't want to do this. And yet I'm going to anyway, you know, so, so that's okay. I mean, I'm not saying you got to love it. You probably won't, or maybe you definitely won't, but, but you know, like, life is not such that you only do the things you love, you know, like I do plenty of shit all day that I don't love. I mean, 
luckily most of what I do is pretty good, but, but you know, like, I don't know, there's all, there's all the boring stuff of life. And sometimes there's the challenging stuff of life. And especially when it comes to intimate relationships and especially when it comes to sex, just accept the fact that the price of having a great relationship and a great sex life is sometimes having to have difficult conversations. Like that's, there's no way around it. It just is what it is. So, you know, sometimes, and there's kind of two sides of the coin here. Sometimes the challenge is how do I muster the courage to share something about me with you and not fear your judgment and not fear your reaction and all of that. And the other side of it is how do I calm myself down in the face of your disclosures? Because that can be scary too, but like that's the crux of intimacy. And that's the challenge for all of us is how do we keep our heads on in those, you know, intense, confusing, frightening, whatever, threatening situations. I think your distinction that that place of intimacy, that <laughs> sitting between the discomfort and doing it anyway, that that is where intimacy lives, I think is a wonderful characterization of it. You are looking at another person and you are deciding, okay, I'm going to accept, not necessarily do the sexual acts or behaviors that that you are talking about, but I'm going to accept that we're having this conversation right now and I'm going to have it anyway. Right. Well, and I think that that's a really important distinction. Just because we're talking about it does not mean that anything has to happen. Exactly. So it's all about being able to make kind of a well-thought-out, well-considered, well-informed decision. And, you know, a good conversation will do that. So it's sort of, I don't know, I mean, just to pick like some random example, it's like kind of the old adage of opening up your relationship. You know, like the way to not open up your relationship is to be out somewhere drinking and then say, oh, they're kind of hot. What do you think, honey? You know, like that like that sort of springing something like that is probably not going to end well. I mean, it might, but you know, it's not recommended. So it's like any big life decision, you don't sort of spring it and hope for the best. Yeah. You're, you're not considering if you spring the conversation about sexual health on someone, you're not considering the context of what is happening around you, one, and two, what the context is of your partner. Or I would aim this at squarely at therapists too. This is something that I'm talking with them about a lot is starting the sexual health conversation in the first appointment within the intake when you're interviewing that client for the first time and then moving it forward because that you're not springing the conversation on the client. You are making the assumption that this will be part of our conversations around being human. Right. Yeah. And the hope then is that topics get brought up in session when it's obviously not imminently acted upon rather than sort of in the heat of the moment. And I think that, especially when it comes to sex, that when we're caught up in the moment, it's easy to make certain choices that 
we then might feel differently about afterwards, which I guess is the same thing as, you know, when we're eating or when we're drinking. So maybe it's any of those kind of physiological needs. So on the one hand, Tammy Nelson has this line that if really great sex should leave you feeling a little bit embarrassed afterwards. You know, so when the horniness has faded, that there's a party that goes like, yee, God, I can't believe we did that. That was freaking awesome. But like, wow, I can't believe we did that. So, you know, so like to a point that can be pretty awesome. And obviously not every single sexual encounter is going to be like a, a you know record breaker or anything. But, but there's a difference then between that and holy shit, what have we done? You know, and like, just as an easy example, you know, like getting caught up in the moment and having a hookup, like an infidelity hookup, seems like an awesome idea until after, you know, the dust is settled. And then you're like, ooh, that was not what I really wanted to do. So to have some of these conversations beforehand, not in bed, not when people are naked, not in the heat of the action, you know, but to have some sense of, we have discussed this and I know that this is going to go over okay. So I think as therapists, it's that much more important that, you know, we bring up some of these topics in session for our clients, you know, sessions are a great place to bring stuff up, but, you know, for anybody at home, it's much better to have these conversations dressed on the couch than it is to have them, you know, once the clothes start coming off. Exactly. You're almost amping up the potential for that fight or flight or freeze moment. Many, many people feel very vulnerable once they start the movement towards sexual behavior of any kind, right? That's when the vulnerability can be amped up inside of you because that kind of fear of rejection can start to pull on your insides for lack of a better way to put it, right? Like, you're like, oh, this is exciting, but uh, what if they don't want to do this? What if they don't want to try anal sex with me? What if they don't want to try any kind of like role play? What if they, what if they're not into that? And I think you're right. We can't have those conversations while it's happening. (laughs) Right. Well, and I think it's, you know, it's easy Like if you're in a situation where there's something that you've been sort of like kind of stewing on, like, oh man, I really want to try this thing um, or I'd really be excited about this, but you haven't felt like you could open up to your partner about it. You know, there is something about kind of the heat of passion that's sort of disinhibiting. And, you know, like I suppose almost by definition, that is what like passion is disinhibited, you know, so maybe it's all kind of part and parcel, but it can create the situation where then you finally sort of feel like you can say it and you sort of spring it upon your partner and maybe they sort of go with it. And then afterwards they're like, Oh, what the hell just happened? Um, Or I didn't feel like I could say no. So like, that's not the place to be having the conversation. So it's much better again with clothes on, on the couch or in a therapist's office or something But it's always interesting to me, the clients I have who, you know, like we will talk about sexual stuff and we'll talk about like, oh, I, you know, I, you should really talk to your partner about this. And then they come in, you know, a week or two later and they're like, yeah, I know, still haven't talked to them about it. (laughs) You know, so like, (laughs) that's weird, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, like, look, I've been there too. Like, I'm certainly not, you know, like I get it, you know, like we've all been there and it's just sort of like, well, there never seemed like there was a good time. And maybe that's true. Cause you don't want to spring it. Like, you know, when you have two minutes to have a, a conversation, but sometimes you just need to make that time, you know, and just, and to just really sort of plan it out, commit to it. Maybe even tell your partner, like, Maybe we can tonight or tomorrow or this weekend or whatever, maybe we can make a point of kind of, you know, carving out some time to have a conversation. Now, obviously, you need to you can't frame it so your partner feels like, you know, you just got a cancer diagnosis or you're going to them or you had an <laughs> right. affair. So like, you, yeah, like, that's not fair. We, when not, like, not the, we need to talk. Right. <laughs> it's not the, we need to talk question. Like that tone of voice doesn't work in this, in this conference. I love Gottman's version of the, uh, creating the state of the union, right? Like no matter what type of relationship formation you're in, carving out times to talk about different hard topics around your relationship is really, really important and planning them is really important. So doing the State of the Union about money, doing the State of the Union about how we have fights, doing the State of the Union about how we have sex. And I think when you can frame it that way and everyone everyone knows what's coming, it can make the conversation less scary. I agree. Because then it's sort of... it. If it's like a normal thing that you do, then it's not surprising. Like, whoa, wait a second, what's happening here? But also, by the way, if you have these conversations with some regularity, there's much less built up. Like, you know, your agenda isn't three pages long of every single thing you need to talk about. You don't need a PowerPoint. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So I think it becomes a situation then, you know, in terms of starting the conversations, you know, it's always that thing of like, start with something good. So if there's something new you want to add to your sex life, you know, start with what's good about it. You know, I really like this, or I love that, or I appreciate, you know, how you do this or something, you know, so always start with the good. Yes. What are you sexually proud of? Right. Exactly. We don't ask ourselves those valued-based questions around our sex life. We do not take that that whole perspective of, oh, there are things that I have done sexually or within my sexual health that I'm actually proud of. Mm -hmm. I think you're completely right about that. Yeah. And I think that that's a really awesome idea, actually, because, again, countering that shame narrative. But I mean, the thing is to, to have a good sex life like that takes some effort, you know, like it does. And especially if we're talking like over the long term, I mean, I suppose if you, you know, hook up with someone on Tinder, maybe not, but yeah, like it really requires good relationship skills, good emotion regulation skills, good, you know, physically you got to be taking care of everything to make sure everything works to some degree, at least to the extent that you can. So yeah, there's a lot there to be proud of. And I think there's on the flip side, there's a lot to be appreciative of in terms of your partner. So, you know, you always get a better reaction by acknowledging the positive first, but put it out there. You know what? Things are good, but you know, I kind of got this idea that, you know, here's, there's something that's been kind of brewing around in my head or I've been thinking about, or I saw it in porn or I read an article or something somehow or other, like, I would be really interested in trying this, whatever it is. And 
to sort of maybe there's some explaining of why is this interesting. But I think for the person on the receiving end, again, a discussion is no obligation to act. It's merely yeah. to act a discussion. Negotiation does not equal a signed agreement. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, and the thing of it is, like in a way, like what you decide is less important than why. So for the receiving partner and the one who's hearing this to not feel pressured or like, I can't say no to this because that's a terrible reason to do something, but also to try to understand like, well, how does this fit into what we're doing now? Why is it interesting? What about it? Especially if you don't get it where you're like, I, I don't really get anything out of that. And that's okay. Like that is totally fine. As long as you can appreciate what your, your partner's excitement about it, let's say, and as long as you don't feel kind of diminished or somehow you're selling out your values. Yes. Oh, oh, can we have a shirt? I need a shirt that says, don't sell out your values. I need that, Ari, today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, today more than ever. So I know. Uh, because I mean, just to take like a non-sexual example, you know, sometimes we'll watch a TV show that like, I don't really love it, but, but my wife does. So I'm like, okay, fine. Like I can be a sport. Now, you know, it's obviously not a show where I'm like, I feel like morally opposed to this. This feels kind of problematic. So, you know, so like there is certainly a line, but, you know, like we're generous in other ways. We're like, I don't feel like going to that restaurant, but you're really fired up. So like, okay, fine. Well, you know, we can do that. Now, presumably that comes back the other way. So like next time or the time after that, we'll go to the place that I want to go to. So it needs to be balance in the relationship. And when it comes to generosity, you know, it's generosity is not domain specific. So my mental tally of, you know, fairness in my marriage is not just, it's not like I have a separate one ledger for sex and a different one for housework and a different one for restaurants we go to. And, you know, like, so generosity in other areas from my wife will make me more generous in whatever the you know topic of the moment is. So, you know, just being a good partner in general is definitely going to benefit your sex life as well. Absolutely. Say you are not super excited about either giving or receiving oral sex. This is something I'll hear from clients is that they're not super excited about one specific sexual act. And what'll often happen is that they put the entire conversation of sex and the shame around it, and they focus on the sexual acts. And if I say or agree to one sexual act, then all of it is on the table. When in reality, it's much more like what you're talking about. It is not all or nothing. Right. Yeah, exactly. And the fact you agree to it today does not mean you agree to it tomorrow. Ooh, yes. Consent. Come on. <laughs> yep, yeah, exactly. Quick break from the action, folks. Ah, action. <laughs> I just want to tell you about my Patreon. Every week, I bring you guests and, seriously, lots of sex nerdery. Help me keep doing that by becoming a supporter. What do you get in return? Cool perks. For real. I am going to be doing shout-outs, stickers, a bunch of stuff. So check it out at ericamiley.com forward slash Patreon. That's E-R-I-K-A-M-I-L-E-Y.com forward slash Patreon. 
I hope to see you and see more of you by becoming a Patreon. Thanks, guys. Whether you want to be the giver or the receiver of, in this case, oral sex or whatever, you know, I think it's it's really important and I think it's interesting. And frankly, it can get kind of hot also to talk about why. Like, okay, if, if you want your partner to go down on you, why is that? What is it about it? Because, you know, that dynamic can be really different depending on who you are, you know? So like for some people, their partner going down on them feels like I'm all I'm doing is receiving. I have no responsibility. This is just about me and my pleasure, right? And so for them, maybe that's the thing. Or maybe it feels like a power move, you know, like I am, you know, making you serve me in this moment. Or maybe their partner is really enthusiastic about it and they love the idea of having the power to like, I am, your pleasure is all in under my control in this moment. Maybe that's what it is. And they get really into it and turned on by it. Maybe it's sort of just a generous, nice thing of you've been good in so many other ways this week. So I'm going to be good to you in this way. You know, like, like one sexual act can mean a thousand different things to a thousand different people. So, so again, it's not just the what, but it's the why. And I think that that can be an interesting and important conversation to have because it's not just about this act. It's about you overall. It's about your sexuality overall. And it's about, and again, it's that intimacy. Like, do you really want to know your partner and do, do you want them to know you? And you know, so sometimes it's a matter of, you know, once you get into the whys, some things become more interesting. So like, for example, if the partner is being asked to give oral sex, says, you know what, I feel like I'm serving you like I'm less than you, like you're in control and making me do something I don't want to do. And then their partner says, what? Well, what are you talking about? That's like, that is nothing of what, like, that's not the thing. I just like the sensation or I like the fact you're being generous. And actually I feel like you're the one in control here. Cause like, you're the one making what happens happen. You know? So sometimes that's the conversation of like, what is the dynamic behind the act? Yes. And what is challenging your own perspective of what is happening during a sexual act or around the conversation around sexual health overall? Like, what does it mean for this person to give or receive? We'll keep using the that example of oral sex. What does it mean for them? What does it mean for you? And they can be two different experiences. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like, I don't know, like if my wife and I both like a restaurant, we can like it for different reasons. You know, Mm -hmm. she might like the fact that they have gluten free options and I might like the fact that they have hot waitresses. I don't know. You know, so (laughs) we don't have to like it for the same reasons, but we both like it and we both want to be there. But, you know, I think it's important if there's like a roadblock on something to figure out why. And I think the challenge is you know, you bring something up like, honey, I would love for you to go down on me and the other, and then your partner freaks out and you go, oh, never mind." And then you never get to, well, why do you want that? And that can then be this kind of like, I don't know, like this, this open wound in the relationship of, I can't believe, you know, they want this and what it means, but the, what it means is the assumption. It's not 
like you don't know what it means to them and vice versa, you know? So I think to be able to have that conversation and then you might choose, like you may still wind up where it's like, yeah, you know what? I get it, but like not interested, don't want to do it. And that is okay. But at least I think for most of us, if we feel like we had our day in court, so to speak, like we had a shot at it, I think we're more likely to take it better of like, you know, God damn it. Still, still wish we could do that. But, you know, I sort of get it. And that at least for now, that's not going to be an option. Yes. I, I, during many, many times in my, in my work, I'm asking people, okay, if this act or this fantasy is your sexual 10, like this is the most aroused you are. What is the nine? What is the eight? What is the seven? What is the six? And if you, if you and your partner cannot find a middle ground to negotiate how to experience the 10, then what can you negotiate to experience together? Whether it be the eight, the seven, the six, whatever is on that spectrum, you don't always have to have the 10. Yeah. I mean, tens are awesome, but like, let's be kind of honest. In everyday life, ten in anything is is kind of hard to come by, right? Whether it's sex or dinner or whatever, you know. So, but it doesn't mean that we should stop trying. And I think that certainly, you know, you should make a point sometimes of saying, "This is a time for a ten. Let's carve it out." But you know, I think it's hard. You know, again, because sex feels so kind of revealing of us and there's such a fear of what your partner's response is going to be that, you know, it's easy to hold that back and then your partner is holding theirs back. And it's sort of like, I don't know, this is not an original line, but it's kind of like the idea of you want it with kind of leftover sex, meaning I'm not bringing up the other things I'd like to do. You're not bringing up the other stuff you'd like to do. So what the sex that we have is the stuff that's left over, you know, like in that Venn diagram of, you know, the overlapping of what is publicly known between us. That's fine in the beginning, but I think, you know, a relationship that goes for decades, like after a little while, that small overlap in the Venn diagram, it might not be interesting enough anymore. Or you know, if we're really talking decades, as things physically change in our bodies. And, you know, that doesn't just mean, you know, things like in terms of our genitals, but maybe like, maybe you got bad knees, you know? And <laughs> exactly. We all get just older. Don't work anymore. Exactly. Maybe your back can't withstand certain positions anymore. Right. Exactly. Or like I tweaked my shoulder at the gym last week and I'm still kind of wrestling with it. So like there's some things I'm not going to be able to do, you know, because my shoulder is a little bit tweaked. So now knock on wood, this is, you know, in a week or so I'm going to be good to go. But like, you know, even temporary things like that, or somebody has a yeast infection or someone has a herpes breakout or whatever. So like these transient things, but, you know, there's still the stuff that you can do. So how do you find a way to make that good? But I think to put stuff out there is indeed a risk. I mean, it is. And, you know, I think often what someone will say is, well, I don't want to say this because I'm worried about how my partner is going to respond. And like on the face of it, th that's accurate. Like that's true. But often the partner doesn't respond as badly as people think. 
but sometimes they do. And sometimes they respond worse, like in honesty, but you know, fair amount of the time, the partner's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't love that idea or I don't get it, but like, I, okay. I mean, whatever, like, I'm not going to grab a suitcase and, you know, run from the house and divorce you or anything. But the thing of it is, if we kind of break it down a little bit more, that idea of, I don't want to say this because you are going to respond badly. Really what it means is I feel like I would have a hard time with your bad reaction, right? I don't know how I would manage the emotions that your reaction stirs up in me. So in other words, if I say, Hey honey, what do you think about this whole, you know, having sex with other people thing that it, so many people are talking about? If you then sort of break down and say, I'm not enough for you, I'm not attractive, I've gained weight or lost weight or gotten taller or shorter or something, I don't know. And then this triggers up all of your insecurities and then you break down and you're crying or you go on the attack and you're like, you know, you're a pervert, you're deviant. I can't believe you would want that. Normal people don't need whatever the thing is. And that then sort of evokes the guilt, you know, or or shame or whatever. And And shuts down the entire conversation. It does. And a whole lot else afterwards, by the way. So exactly. um, You know, so it's sort of on the one hand, yes, definitely. You want to be aware of your partner's reaction. You want to be sensitive to it. You know, don't be an asshole. We need, again, shirts. Don't be an asshole. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, But also, sometimes intimate relationships involve emotionally reactive conversations. I mean, they just do. So sometimes it needs to be a thing of... I don't know, being able to kind of hang in there and tolerate it, you know? And now, obviously, if you think that your partner is going to have a bad reaction to something that you're going to put out there, try to preempt it. So like if, I don't know, you want to try tying up your wife, like you might want to say, so here's this thing I've been thinking about. I'm just sort of curious about it. It just seems really hot to me. I would love to do it with you. Like, but just to start, like, this is not a power thing. This is not like an anti-feminist thing. This is not a whatever, like, but the idea of tying you up seems really interesting to me or, you know, whatever. So like sometimes you sort of preempt the first kind of negative response that you might get or acknowledge at exactly. the time. You're giving a peek into your perspective before you even like start to delve into the conversation. You're saying, hey, this is interesting to me. This could be hot for me. And I am not thinking A, B, C, D. I am not thinking that this is a way to demean you. And I would love to know your thoughts about this specific act I am interested in. Yeah. And I think that it it, it sort of telegraphs the fact that you're considerate that you've thought about their perspective and that you're probably open to hearing what they have to say. Absolutely. So I think, I think this is a great time for us to move into the new segment because we're going to tackle some similar themes in the new segment. So I think one of the pieces of the new segment is having the folks who come on my show as guests. So prepare yourselves, future guests, be able to like do a little singing or do a little, like I'm thinking for this one, because we're talking about how conversations are hard. We say, ask Erica whispering. I think that would work here. (laughs) 
<laughs> so Ari and I are going to do it together. And then we're going to answer your questions. We're going to tackle maybe even pop culture stuff in this new segment called Ask Era. So Erica, see? Words. Words are hard in the morning. <laughs> so Ari, are you ready to do this with me? I'll count us off and then we'll go Ask Erica. <laughs> okay. One, two, three. Ask Erica. I love it. Great job. <laughs> so one of the things that I hear from clients all of the time, this is the question I get all the time. How do I start the conversation with my partner about sex? And I think I want to frame this in a perspective that is all over the media right now. It's all over everywhere. The rapper T.I. <laughs> decided to come out on a podcast and say that he attends these OBGYN appointments with his daughter, who is 18, to check to make sure that she is still a virgin, that her hymen is still intact. And I, I wanted to bring this up with you because I think, one, I would love to hear like a perspective from a man, a man that's a professional as a sex therapist. <laughs> I want to tackle this from the perspective of Experts. I don't want to hear yet another person who has no background in therapy, sex therapy, sex education, tackling really tough conversations about sex. And listening to somebody who is a complete layperson like T.I. essentially expose his daughter to really narcissistic behavior and really like detrimental parenting for sure. Like when we have these conversations, maybe with our children, maybe with loved ones, what, what is it? What is a good time to start when, I mean, we could be here forever around this, but like, maybe we'll just tackle that first. Like when is a good time to start having these conversations with people we love? I'll take the generic answer of before it becomes a problem. Yes. <laughs> they, you know, now. I don't know what kind of conversations he's had with her about sex before that, because, but, you know, I mean, one would hope they've had some conversations because if she's 18, like it's too late, probably, but uh, you know, more than I likely. Guess, and the hymen doesn't work that way. Exactly. <laughs> right. I mean, scientifically, it's not even a valid determinant of what he's trying to determine. Uh, so like that's its own conversation. But I guess, you know, what I would wonder is why is it so important to him? And, you know, why can't he, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's an element here. If you have a good relationship with your kids and teens, you can have these conversations, lots of them, before yes. it becomes a thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's why this this segment specifically, I wanted to talk with you about it because I think having these conversations, one, often but two, the minute that you embarrass the person you are having a sexual conversation with is the minute their ears are off. Right. If you take your kid to the doctor and essentially embarrass, you don't, you haven't had good, thorough sexual health conversations with your kid and you spring that on them, kind of like what you, we had talked about earlier, like that's, it's just not going to go well. Right. Yeah, which means that you lose the opportunity to have other important, nuanced conversations. Like, 
I don't know, like his daughter has a friend who had sex with someone and then isn't sure how she feels about it. Or, you know, she's at a party and some guy is pressuring her, you know, so like, you know, she's I one would assume like if this is how T.I., if this is a window into how he handles parenting and especially parenting around sex, one cannot imagine that she would go to her dad and say, hey, this thing happened. I don't really know how I feel about it or, or I want to talk about it. You know, like you want your kid to be able to talk to you about it. And, you know, if we kind of make this into an adult example, you know, if you have a couple where the, the I'm going to go gender, you know, stereotypical here, but, you know, where the wife is like, porn is evil, only perverts look at porn and, you know, whatever, whatever. Like the guy's not going to talk to her about it. He's not going to bring up the idea of like, you know what? You're awesome. I love you. I love having sex with you. But also sometimes I like looking at other people have sex, no danger, no threat to our marriage. I'm not going to you know, go crazy with it or whatever. Like he will not have that conversation likely. And instead what he may do is just sort of sneak it on the side until he gets caught. And then like all hell breaks loose. So, you know, so it's kind of this idea that I don't know. It's sort of like I, I, I say, like, the truth is earned, you know, that you earn the truth, you earn disclosures by showing that you handle it well. And that means you don't guilt or shame people about it. You don't um, react badly by getting angry and yelling and, you know, all sorts of stuff. You don't tell other people about it. So, you know, I think that like this, and again, maybe this is an unrepresentative snapshot into their relationship, but, you know, like just this, like being there to confirm the presence of her hymen or whatever the fuck, like he, that is not earning the truth, you know, Absolutely. like, and it's kind of this idea, you can't punish honesty. So the guy who says, yeah, I don't know, porn, I mean, you know, whatever, I mean, some people look at it and if his wife then like goes ballistic and like lectures him about how it's destroying the universe, done, you know, like she has punished his honesty of saying in a sideways way, I don't know, this porn thing might be kind of interesting. You know, if she pounces on it, done, there will not be another conversation. I think it absolutely can be done where then both people can access safety in the conversation. I mean, just to use that same example, what if he had a trauma response to her disclosing her use of porn, right? Like, but being able to create a safe space will then allow those people to be able to talk about it without. I mean, not without discomfort. Let's just leave that still on the table. <laughs> but without the yelling or the accusing or the shame, like just battering each other with shame. Right. Yeah. And it just, it shuts down the conversation. And, you know, I've certainly had people in my office, I'm sure you have as well. And I think we all know people, whether we know it or not, where, you know, there is that kind of first response. Then there's a promise of, I'll never do that again. You know, which is not, it's not a real, like, it wasn't a good conversation and then a true agreement. It's more like, I don't see the option of saying anything other than I won't do it again. And then, of course, you know, over time, it happens again. You know, it's like, well, you know, you're not home, so I guess I'll look as important or something. So it's really hard in that moment to kind of calm your emotions and keep your head on. And I think for the person who, 
like, you know, in this case, the wife who's anti-porn to calm her reaction enough to be able to hear what her husband is saying, but also for the husband to be able to calm his reaction enough and maybe not necessarily in that moment, but at some later point to say, you know, I feel like we need to talk about this. I feel like there's something going on and I don't want to sneak this. Like, I don't want to lie to you about it, but at the same time, I don't want to feel judged for it either. Like those both suck. So like the only better third option is that we can actually talk about it. Now, maybe, you know, at the end of the day, he decides, okay, I'm not going to look at porn. Like I can, I don't agree, but I'll respect it, you know, and we do that in relationships. But at least again, he had his day in court. Like he felt like they had a real conversation or he better understands his wife's perspective and doesn't just write her off as being crazy. That's what I hear. I mean, or whatever. Yeah. And that's what we hear in sessions, right? Like that dynamic of you versus me and and arguing the facts rather than putting the relationship as the context for the conversation. Right, right. Yeah, so to really sort of understand it and from there to then make a better decision about what you do with it. Beautiful, beautiful. I so appreciate you coming back on this show. I'm just so tickled. And Ari's welcome back anytime he wants. And I'm ruling that. Um, Listeners, I love you, but um, (laughs) I just enjoy talking to Ari. So how do people find you in the world? So probably best place. I've got information about my books, my podcast, upcoming presentations, recordings of past presentations, things like that at adultadhdbook.com. And, you know, you can, you know, we did an episode, I don't know, a couple months ago talking about how ADHD impacts a couple's relationship and sex life. So certainly that's something to check out as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll keep talking here. Oh, yes. And everybody, thank you for sticking around to the end. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening, folks. Please rate and review on iTunes. It helps this podcast get found. If you leave a five-star review, let me know about it on any social media, and I'll shout you out on the podcast. You can find my website at ericamiley.com. You can find me on Facebook, the Gram, and Twitter. See y'all next time.